You're listening to Tango Uncorked. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tango Uncorked. Welcome back. It's been a little while. I hope everybody has been doing well, and I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving weekend and holiday. I had a lovely evening in the beautiful city of Newark. I only was there because Chico lives there. It's not like I went to Newark and just walked around downtown all afternoon. No, I went there to have dinner with some good friends, and uh, it was a lovely evening, and I hope yours was as well. Friday was a nice restful day to get back on your feet, back on my feet. Um, Today on the show, I have Tiffany Trotter, and I've known Tiffany for about uh, three years or so, I'd say. Um, yeah, probably three years, and we had a nice discussion. The first hour and quarter was pretty much strictly about tango and her experiences tangoing and comparing notes with one another, and uh, we were about to wrap up the show, and then as what happens sometimes, we stumbled into a new discussion, which led us to talk about her fascination and her career in in history as a history teacher and then we discussed history because we both love history um, so the second half of the show is pretty much no tango has a lot to do with uh, things that happened in the past things like civil rights things like uh, progressive movements um, and just our fascination with history in general um, yeah so I wanted to say a few things really quick If you like the show, please subscribe. You can send me your comments or feedback. Uh, Tomorrow night is Wednesday, Tango Cafe, and we have DJ Michaela from Cleveland playing the music. Last week was Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It's always a huge night, and we had a big one. We had about 180 people. Alberto was uh, her partner in crime. Alberto was our DJ last week. Coming up Saturday... Guillermina Quiroga and Mariana Logudice are going to be performing at the 10-year anniversary of Malaleche. Yes, 10 years. I am getting older. Uh, speaking of which, tomorrow at 5 o'clock on Usala Radio. It's a radio station you can find online. 5 to 6 p.m. I sat down yesterday. I did an interview with the host of that show, Meredith Klein. The show is called Tango Stories. And unlike a podcast, you have to listen while it's on the air. So I think, I know for a fact, tomorrow at 5, Wednesday, and also Saturday coming up on the 7th from 4 to 5, I believe, or 6 to 7. But you can check it out. You can check out the website, Usala Radio, um, and get to know... She's interviewing me, so it's uh, the tables are turned a little bit, and I talk about myself. New Year's Eve is coming up, and Chico and I are having a huge party once again. The theme is the 1920s, kind of like a speakeasy, Lindy, big jazz, big band jazz theme. We have gone out dancing once to Swing 46 to take the class with Stephanie, and I'll be organizing another trip next Tuesday, and perhaps another Maybe we'll do a group private because we're going to be playing some swing throughout the night. And um, it'd be nice to know a few steps for that. Anything else to report? I think that's it for now. This is episode 20, if I hadn't mentioned that before. 
it's almost a year in. I think I believe I started in April last spring. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the show. And here we are with Stephanie Trotter. What um what what is it about the Transformers soundtrack that <laughs> that you like? I love the, I love the Transformers. I love the movie. I love the cartoon when I was a kid. It's really just harkening back to this is stuff fascinating. I enjoyed as a child. This is why I enjoy this podcast because I learned so many interesting things. Do you need something? I, is this supposed to be like actually near me? You can turn it more if you want. That's my cool thing here. Either way, yeah. There you go. Mm. And then now I can't see you. That's that. Something like that? Yeah. I just turn it up a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I love Transformers as a kid. I watched Transformers as a kid. I think we all did. And um, this carried on until you're older in life? Uh, carried on. I don't know what, it, what that means. That means that when the movie came out, I was very excited about it. It's not like I watched Transformers from childhood. No, I know. That's, there was a right. big gap there. <laughs> yes. But then the movie came out, and I was like, oh, well, cool. I have to go see this. Yeah? And it you was, actually thought it was good? I enjoy it. <laughs> I have terrible taste. Oh, uh, I shouldn't. Not, not, no. I didn't mean it to say that. No. I have weird taste, too, that I think... <laughs> You didn't finish the statement beforehand, so I was gonna say I have that. terrible taste also, but then I was actually yeah, judging you your the... taste in movies. <laughs> so Transformers is, has Mark I really Wahlberg don't in it. Care? I watched. Let me back up. Hmm. Growing up, we didn't watch TV. Like I could watch anything educational, like Sesame Street, Electric Company, Three Two One Contact. Anything mm-hmm. else was only if I was at the babysitter's house. Hmm. At home. At a certain point, we could watch 30 minutes a week of something that we chose that could be anything. Um, we also didn't go see movies a ton, so I just, like, visual media in general is not a thing mm-hmm. that I engaged in. I still don't. I don't own a TV. I don't have a Netflix account. I don't have Hulu. Um, I will sometimes watch something on YouTube, but not a show. Like, to sit down for half an hour, an hour, or three hours and watch a thing is not something I do very often. Hmm. Um, But cartoons were one of those things that we could watch at the babysitters, not at home, because they weren't educational. Right. Well, Um, kind of. I mean... I mean, yeah, G.I. Joe, you grow up and be a patriot and, uh, like... A transformer is like a robot that... Transforms. Yeah. And does good. That's educational. If they were talking about how you tank a car and turn it into a robot, maybe. Yeah. But they didn't go into the, know. You know, the schematics and all of that fun stuff. Kept it simple. Yes. Um, but I, in general, liked pretty clear-cut stuff. So that I loved, you know, Thundercats. I don't know if that mm-hmm. was out when you were a kid. Yeah. Still. Um, I wonder some of the other, well, besides G.I. Joe. He-Man and She-Ra were on when I was a kid. I wasn't such a fan of those. Hmm. Um, I don't remember He-Man. I mean, I remember He-Man. I don't remember if I liked it or if I just watched it because it was on TV. Not that it matters. So you were not... That's not to say you were in a strict household. You just were kind of guided to... Read or be outside. With your time. Yeah. Read or be outside. Mm -hmm. Yes. Did you have siblings? I don't even know. I do. I have two younger brothers. 
um, one is three and three and a half more or less years younger and the other seven years younger so mm. he's a very he's an only child functionally where did you start dancing and was Fourth tango your first dance talent no. show okay so then <laughs> tango definitely wasn't your first dance no 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 uh maybe the last one mm-hmm. yeah elementary school friend wanted to do a talent show and i was like sure what do you want to do she wanted to dance so I think the song was called Freakazoid or something like that. Okay. So we danced in a talent show. I didn't do anything else until middle school when I tried out for the school team. Was it like uh, like break dancing kind of a thing? In fourth, no. Yeah. No. no, no, no. At like, no. I, would, I, knew, I did no <coughs> dancing up until that point. So it was like very basic. Like. But it was solo with a partner, not like partner dancing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. No partner dancing for right. me until I got to college. Okay. Um, but dancing, more or less, I'd say for real, starting in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. So you've been dancing tango for a while now. On and off. Yeah. Um, I was introduced to it in college, fell in love with it immediately. Um, and that was <laughs> Daniel Trenner and Rebecca Schulman. Really? Like, yeah, really. And like Juan Carlos Copes and Nora Dinzelbacher and... Where are, we, where are we when that. this is happening? Uh, at Stanford. Okay. So Richard Powers is a professor there. He's a social dance historian. Hmm. And so he taught uh, social dance classes and had a vintage dance ensemble that was like all 19th century, early 20th century dances, like Interesting. Polonaise, Mazurka, Mashish, the original Can-Can, which is not what we think of when we think of Can-Can. I don't even know what that is. Um, you don't know what the Can-Can is? Not really. I mean, well, it's yeah. like a, basically it gets kick line. Um, if okay. you see like the like French chorus girls like in a line with like the dresses with pantaloons and doing a sort of kick line is uh-huh. what we tend to think of. Um, okay. It's actually a, a quadrille sort of dance. So there are four partners, four pairs dancing in a square formation that hmm. changes formations um, and then interacts with other sets of four partners. Oh. So it's like a Rueda kind of, but no, because you're not being called out to. Correct. Are you being called no, out to? No. no. Um, but there is sort but of But there like is a, an order. There yeah, is an order. order. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, so. <clears throat> so this professor sort of brought tango into the mix? Is that how it kind of got introduced to you? He and the summers would do these week-long intensives, um, and usually they were like 18th or 19th century stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but one summer he also did a week-long intensive for tango. And just like folks do here with milongas or um, when you have special events, you have a crew of folks that will like volunteer at the door or volunteer to help out, and there's either like a discount or something. Mm-hmm. So students could volunteer to work all those same things at the front desk, getting people where they needed to go, et cetera, et cetera, and then take classes for free. Um, so I stayed in the summer, and I was like, I don't know what this is. I've never seen it. That's fine. Like. It's dance. I'm sure I'll love it. <laughs> right. I haven't, haven't met any dance form I don't like so far. Um, and so that happened. And wow. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, it was pretty spectacular. And so did Daniel and Rebecca come out to teach at some point? Is that mm-hmm. They happened? were there, part of that intensive. And Nina. Nina. Is she a, did you say a woman named Nina? Or Nora. Nora. She's an organizer. I, I, I have... She was in San Francisco at the time. She does the Tango Week. She might. I honestly have no idea about anything in the California scene right now. Well, no, um, she. I 
if it's the same. See, I don't know either very much, but I, I heard that Stanford had the very first tango festival in the United States, like going back a long time ago, and sh I think she was the organizer. A long time ago. I don't know. My experience was in the 90s. I don't know, mid-94, 95. Um, Jesus. But <laughs> Did you know him? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you may soon. <laughs> that's good. Um, so 94, 95. And actually, that's around the time Rebecca was starting, too, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, she was assisting Daniel then. So your paths crossed way back in the day, and then you ended up in New York City. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. Did you ever catch up with her Small about those world. days? Or? We haven't chatted. No? Um, no. Which is, you know, neither yeah, here nor it there. happens, yeah. But, yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, so did that in college, and when I went to graduate school in Chicago, Tango was out in the suburbs, like an hour and a half, two hours by public transit, one way. And I did it a few, a couple of months, and I was like, I can't sustain this. Where were you? St where were you based in Chicago? Like down in? The I was in Hyde Park because okay. I was at the university, uh -huh. um, and it was. I don't remember what direction, quite honestly. It would have to be west or north because that's really right. the, the lake is east. Yeah. Um, it was far. I just remember taking like an hour and a half or two hours each way, like combination of train and bus, mm -hmm. and I was just like, I can't. Right. It's not sustainable. So I stopped um, and lived in Chicago for seven years and then moved to New Hampshire and lived there for nine years. And at one point, I got a grant to go travel wherever I wanted to study whatever I wanted um, from the school I was teaching at. And I was going to go to Spain, to Granada, because in all of my travels in Europe, that's a place I hadn't been. And I'm fascinated by uh, Islamic architecture and they have the huge muse, uh, not museum, libraries there in Toledo and blah, blah, blah. So I really wanted to go do that. And I was like, great, I'll study Spanish and get it. And when I was looking into programs um, and talking with organizers, one of them said, you know, you're, you're welcome to come, but pretty much everyone here is going to be a tourist. And I was like, why is that? He's like, in the summer, we all go on vacation. So the mm. Spaniards will be gone, but there'll be a lot of other people here. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to go to Spain to study Spanish with non-Spanish speakers. Right. Um, so I was looking around for somewhere else to go, and then I remembered, like, oh, you could go to Argentina. Mm. If you do that, you could also dance, and they would pay for that, too, with the grant. And so nice. I was, like, did it five weeks in Buenos Aires, mm. for like, three hours of dance class, Monday through Friday wow. in the morning, lunch, three hours of Spanish class, Monday through Friday in the really? afternoon, and then, like, hanging out in the evening. Yeah. 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 Little siesta, and then you go out at night. Sometimes. Sometimes I was exhausted. Yeah. But yeah, it was and, amazing. And uh, is this, this the, the dance classes you were taking? You were doing three hours a day of dance classes in the morning? And those, yes. Was that and through that was a... At, um, the Borges Cultural Center. I don't think hmm. that they have that school there anymore. I've tried looking it up. Um, mm -hmm. Escuela Argentina de Tango, something like that. I have a T-shirt. I'm sure I could find it. Yeah. Um, but they did classes in the morning. I remember taking classes with Aurora Luis. Um, what is this guy's name? Mm, El Turco is what he called himself. Alejandro mm. Suaya. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen videos of, well, I've seen videos of, uh, yeah, El Turco a little bit, I think. Um, and there were some others, but I don't remember all of the names. Hmm. But yeah, I was like, 
I'm here for a mission literally the last day. I, well, no, I did take a trip to Iguazu and up north for like a weekend. Mm-hmm. But the last day I realized I had not had not gone out to see the city. Had to, like I was there to do two things. Right. And that's all and that's I did. It's yeah. the last day. And then I was like, I should take one of these decker double decker bus tours or something just right. to see. So I, I uh, yeah, I, I've been down there many times and I think only once I went to Uruguay mm. and once I went to Tigre. And a lot of people will not a lot, but some people will tell me like, Oh, how could you go there and not you know do more and see more and it's like well because there's Focus. nowhere else in the world where you can dance tango 24 7 so i kind of want to just do that when i'm in the place that you do that and and now you know maybe maybe in the future if i go out I'll, I'll go south or check out other parts yeah i definitely want to see those kind of places but you know you get to buenos aires and you just get sucked into the yeah absolutely. i mean geez. and then you find out like oh so-and-so is doing a workshop for one week only and you're like well i gotta take that i mean i'm here yeah. And then that's exhausting because they're usually four to five hours a yeah. day. And so you're just beat. And then and, and that's what happens. And, you and then you're going to Asados and you're hanging out with friends. And the next thing you know, it's been a month and you're on a plane back to New York. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been back since? I haven't. So um, when was this? 2011. 2011. Okay. Um, so things have probably. And I didn't even dance consistently since then. I came back and I made a point of getting down to Boston. Mm-hmm. And so you're still in New Hampshire at doing point. classes. Yes, I was still in New Hampshire. Um, that was my last year in New Hampshire, 11, 12. And I made a point of going to Boston, to Cambridge, actually, and taking classes down there mm-hmm. um, at least once a week. Um, and then I moved to New York, and I was super excited because I was like, great, it's a place that will actually have lots of tango, and I can do a bunch of stuff, and I had no idea where to start, and knew that there was a website like with a million things and I was like that's not actually helpful that's overwhelming right um, and so someone was like go to La Nacional I was like okay fine I went um, sat in one of the chairs on the the left side if you're right. walking in mm-hmm. for three hours oh, shit. not a single person spoke to me and I was like okay I'm new here I get uh, okay fine I'll try it again and I went back twice more and this happened both of those times too. And the third time there was a woman dancing. Her name's Eve and I can't remember her last name. Um, she has since moved out west. Oh, uh, I think it's Katzen. Maybe. Yeah. Yes, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she and I, person I presume was her boyfriend, were dancing. And I just, when the tanda finished, I stopped her and I was like, where do you take classes? Mm-hmm. Like, I love how you dance, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, really, I don't. I just go out a lot. Hmm. I said, okay. And we chatted for a little bit. She wanders off. A couple minutes later, her boyfriend came over to ask me to dance, and I was like, oh, cool. I, okay. Had that tanda, and then that was it. And I was like, hmm, three nights, one tanda, I'm not feeling this. Right. So maybe I'm not going to do tango in New York. And mm. so I stopped looking for it. Um, and that was 2012, and then Oscar hounded me in 2016 for a couple of months. <laughs> and that brought you to Sergio in that in that school, that group, right? Right. Right. Twenty sixteen was an unpleasant year, to put it mildly. And um, yeah. he, about halfway through the year, I guess, encountered Sergio at like a Tango in the Park mm-hmm. on Central Park thing, and kept bugging me to go. And I was like, I don't want to do Tango anymore. I'm I'm good. Like I'm over in New York. I'm, it's all good. And he had a birthday party, and some of them were there. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess you're kind of nice people. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll consider it. <laughs> and then I ended up going. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, can be a love hate relationship. That's for sure. Yes. Do you feel like people? I, you know, when I try to defend tango, and I don't always defend it, but I find part of the reason people are so standoffish is because it's a very intimate and long-term commitment. Twelve minutes, but still, like for a social dance, it's you're you're putting yourself in a very uh, intense experience with a total. Tap, you know, generally a total stranger in the beginning, at least. Mm-hmm. And so I think it causes more reluctancy to mm-hmm. want to go and ask a stranger. I sometimes wish we had mixers where it was one songs or two song tandas. I think that would be much. We get a much mm. more of a of a vibe. Turnover, yeah. Much more turnover. Lot less people feeling so threatened, men and women both, to commit so long to one person. You know, I know I've spoken to many women mm. over the years who said, oh, I would I would dance with more men, but I don't want to spend that much time with them because maybe after two songs, I start to feel pain in my back or, or whatever. Mm. And men are the same and mm-hmm. other, for their other reasons, you know, and and I speak to people that dance other styles and they're just like, why the fuck do you guys dance for 12? Why do you have to do four songs? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like salsa dancers are like, hey, I could leave in the middle of the song and nobody gets offended. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we sort of shoot ourselves in the foot at times. And I also appreciate certain aspects of, of the rituals, too. But I... It always cuts both ways. Yeah, for right? sure. There's, there's a lot of that's beautiful and pleasant about it, and then there are moments that are not. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'd never thought about, the idea of not wanting to commit that much time. It doesn't feel like a lot of time to me. Maybe that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's only one person I've ever danced with where I was like, yeah, that... That was a long time. <laughs> it was mostly because he had like a death grip on my hand, like mm-hmm. even in between songs. So like if you wanted to like fan yourself or do something like your hand was, lo- I was like, it, I'm not, I'm not going to run off. Like it's right, okay right, right, if yeah, you yeah. let go of my hand, I'm going to stand right here and we'll do the next song until it ends. But he, I was like, okay. That yeah. was. Well, those are probably nerves. And I used to have a serious issue with my hand. Maybe, but I've seen him for, I don't know, the last couple of years, and he always does it with everyone he's mm. dancing with. I was fortunate that I had people that weren't afraid to tell me. <laughs> like like Rebecca Shulman one time a long time ago, we, she used to like take, she used to take time in the, during the day to meet me to practice. She was very supportive. Um, and I think one night we were dancing somewhere. It might have been during one of these daytime things. She's like, Adam, you're such a lovely dancer. Why do you have to squeeze my hand so hard? <laughs> Just in the nicest way ever, you know? And I've worked with oh, other women right. over the years who would just, you know, tell me. Because uh, I really did. I think I really did squeeze a lot. Mm. And I think I even today, like, Chica will sometimes be like, you know, you're squeezing. Um, and another female friend of mine would ask me if I could just wiggle my fingers around while I'm dancing. And mm-hmm. that's something I tell guys when I'm working with certain leads. Like, oh, you should just, you know, because you get really, um, you know, we can get tense there. Yeah. Do you have... Um, now you work in a field that doesn't give you a lot of time mm. to go out. Mm-hmm. So when you do go out, it's you know you have to really put your. How do I say this? Um, how do you balance the expectation and the sacrifice? Does that make sense? Um, sure, I can make sense of that. Um, I think one of the things that for me has certainly shifted over the last two years is kind of what I expect walking in. And typically, mm-hmm. you know, when I was first starting, like, I got into tango because I love dancing, and I think it's beautiful. Um, 
And so when I went out, I wanted to dance. Right. Um, and that's hit or miss, depending on the night, depending on how you're feeling, depending on how, who's there and how they're feeling. Um, and so my expectation now is not about dancing. And I'm sure that being on crutches for two months helped mm. with that. But, yeah. <laughs> right. but my expectation is not that I'm going to go out and I'm going to spend my night dancing. Um, and that changes the dynamic in terms of how I feel about the experience of the night tremendously. Yeah. Right. Because then I'm not disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, my expectation is I'm going to go out and I'm going to see people I like and we're going to hang out and there may be dancing. There may not be dancing, but there will certainly be people there that I like, which is why I go to those particular places. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way it's it's always fun. Yeah. That's another thing I was going to ask you is there must be. And I, I mean, I'm a leader, so my, I have my own perspective from that vantage point. But there must be certain events as a woman or as a man where you know you're more likely to socialize versus dance. And then other events where th- the dancing is more on the top, you know, on the front burner for everybody. Like, I feel like practicas and things like that, the earlier events are much more geared towards getting in as much as possible. That may be. I've uh, only been to Carlos's Practica. Mm-hmm. That's not true. I went to Robin's like once, maybe twice, a long time ago. Um, and I haven't really gone to the early evening ones. Like the w- There used to be the one on Sunday that was early, and there's the one on Friday. Mm-hmm. Maybe there still is. I don't know. That was early. But I haven't really done those. I really have only, let's see. The Saturday stuff, so Malaleche and All Night Milonga. Um, I don't really go to Destino. I've gone to Astoria a few times. It's just a pain in the butt to get to. Yeah, Otherwise, I like Astoria a lot. But I like it. Is, it's it's hard a beautiful to get home space. Um, for me, yeah. Both directions. It's just, it's <laughs> inconvenient. It's inconvenient. Um, Mondays and Sueño, I like, but it's, again, it's late and it's Monday and I can't start my week like mm. that. I can't be tired all week. Right. I can be tired <clears throat> Thursday and or Friday, but not... Right. The whole week. Tuesdays, I used to do stuff at Triangulo, mm-hmm. but they've shifted locations and schedule and all of that. Then yeah. you guys, I occasionally go to La Nacional, not very often. I don't do anything on Friday. Mm-hmm. But the places I do most would be Wednesday or Saturday. And again, I'm going to those places because they're people I like. Right. And so if there's dancing, awesome. If there's not, I'm not going to be heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that I had a big ch- ch- when I started dancing. It was to dance, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I enjoy people's company and all that stuff, but it wasn't until my first trip or two to Buenos Aires where I saw the complete shift in how they, per- you know. I mean, yeah, there's still like the practicas with the younger generation where they're there to do more more dancing, but I, f- I really enjoyed the slow down, kind of take your time through the night, get to. S- chat with some of your friends, some of the people you haven't seen in a while, dance a tanda or two. Uh, that helped me enjoy the night more too because I hmm. used to feel like if I'd sat for too long, I was just wasting time. And you never want to feel like you're wasting time with whatever you're doing because then you're, you're, you are wasting. Frustrated. Well, you're wasting time that you're alive being upset that you're alive in that moment. 
No, I don't know if I'd go that far. But you know, you're like, I'm but wasting time. Yes, and it's yes, like, but you could well, be doing something else. And but you, you could, could also be... be appreciating where you're at for another reason, which is, Correct. you know, to get to know the other people there. or Right, which you know, is why that was a music. conscious shift for me because I was yeah. like, I can just be angry. And I'm, <laughs> right. I've actually spent most of a year, not at all related to tango, but like angry and like, I never want to do that again. Yeah. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found that it was like, okay, so you need to figure out another way do you think to be in the space or not be in the space. But those are kind of your options. Do you think spending a year being angry helped you learn how to, not because you didn't want to be angry, but maybe helped you realize there's other ways to be? Does that make sense? Yes, but no is the answer to your question. Okay. Um, it was the first time that I've ever been in that state. I'm typically upbeat, optimistic, like mellow, but like yeah. I don't get down a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really disconcerting that mm. like I would wake up angry. I'm like, nothing has happened. Like uh, I have no reason to, like I haven't even gotten out of bed yet. Like nothing has happened, but I'm pissed off. Sure. Um <clears throat> And tried all sorts of stuff. I don't know. Actually, I don't even know what ended it or why or how it ended, but it did. Thank goodness. Um, so it didn't shift me in terms of knowing that there are other ways, because the other ways of being are kind of my typical ways of being. Mm-hmm. Um, more than anything, it was like... Well, I wasn't sure if there was something that happened that caused that, but you were saying no, it was just sort of Yeah, like... no, 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 no. There was certainly definitely something that caused it. Yeah, right. I was ultimately like angry about a thing, but right. like I've never been so upset about a thing that it just lives with me mm-hmm. for an extended period of time um and I, I can usually shake that stuff and i for some reason it just took a really long like months right to yeah. get through that um and so then when i found myself getting here and i was like nope we're not we're not doing that again so you can either figure out another way to enjoy mm-hmm. yourself here or you need to figure out something else to do yeah so yeah I, that's I find like some, because, you know, being in Buenos Aires when you're at the Milongas, you, you could, you could sit for the six hours, you know, and that can also be frustrating, especially like as a, as a, a, like when you know a lot of people in your community and, and A and B, if you're like a teacher in the community, you feel when you go out, I mean, I don't want to use the word you, but when, when one goes out, one feels a little bit more a part of things. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, some people at Tango Cafe, you know, Mm -hmm. you're going to sit on the sofa, sofa, sofa. And, you know, Michael's uh, going to come over and Chico's going to come over. People are going to come over right. and say hi. But if you go to... So my point is, is like I learned <clears throat> at a lot of the events when I would go to Buenos Aires that I would just not be able to find my people simply because it was like so fucking dark mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just play. I would just count the music. I would just do all this shit with the music in my head. Like kind of just like listen to the... Like study the words, listen to the beats, try to play with the... Uh, how I might want to dance at another time instead of, again, just trying to make most, the most of the time that I'm there instead of like itching and, and yeah, I may not go to that place again because I'm like, yeah, I could do that at home. I listen to music at home, but again, it's like trying to, you know, make the most out of it, mm-hmm. which isn't always the case. Sometimes you're just pissed and you're sitting there like, fuck this. Guaranteeing that you're not going to dance because you're pissed. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's also an interesting thing. I've been thinking, a lot lately about figuring out things that I could do that I would enjoy doing to know more of the music um, and to hear more of the music. It's, it's, it's interesting because when I talk to Mary about this, um, 
for her, like the music first and foremost, before anything, before the dancing, before the connection with the other person, et cetera. And for me, it's like the third on the list. Hmm. Um, but I feel like I would like to understand it more. I think part of it, it's cultural, like it's not a thing that I grew up with. It's not like just embedded in my subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means I just need to spend time, I think, uh, uh, listening more and taking it apart so that it doesn't feel like a wash. Hmm. Yeah. Um, like but the idea, so then what you're just saying of, you know, like listening to the, the, the rhythms or different melodies or instruments to take it apart, to figure out like, what could I do with this is another way to go about that same process. Yeah. Um, a good way to do that is to DJ. Yeah, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you, you know, I talked to some people who dance about the music and I, I since I've DJed since pretty much the beginning because Robin was just like, just, you know, play the stuff that you like and I'm sure it'll work. And, and there's much to learn from there. But mm-hmm. um, after doing that for several years, I would talk to other dancers or even other teachers and they just had like no clue about like which orchestra was playing right now or, or any of these details. And I was kind of surprised. But then I was like, well, you do spend at that time two to three nights a week DJing so you are always listening and aware but also paying attention to like what's on the computer right I'm reading the song title yeah yeah. so that gave me a distinct advantage so so in in conversations that have come since when people talk about you know wanting to get the music more get to know the music more that's my like suggestion it's just like well if you even not a serious DJ even if just like oh I'm gonna put together a little playlist for some friends or whatever Mm mm-hmm because it does give you that focused amount of time, which is really hard to have. I mean, you speak Spanish, so you can, uh, with the songs with vocals, pick up on, on which title is probably that song, for sure. But instrumentals and things like that. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, hearing something, I can I certainly recognize if I've heard it before, um, mm-hmm. but couldn't tell you. The title or whatever. Yes. Yeah. That's also true with a lot of other music, though even things that I like. So sometimes I'll ask you, oh, what was that where you're playing in order to get it? But then I'm not going to memorize later the name or mm-hmm. the artist. I just know that it's in my music somewhere and I can find it. Um, mm. But I do feel like I should spend time, whether whether putting together playlists or, or doing as Bat does and just listening to it. I don't know if I could do that, but listening to it more often at home. So what's your first and second then? You said music was the third. Uh, the dance, dancing itself, the movement, um, and then the person you're dancing with, mm. the connection. Um, all of dance, well, yeah, all of dancing for me, whether it was, you know, the jazz or the ballet or the modern or the ballroom or Latin or whatever, um, the thing first is about movement, well, movement and expression through that, right? And then when the social dances kind of came into my world, then it became about like, okay, what can I do with someone else? Yeah. Right. But that can happen to a range of music. Um, so there's not a particular set kind of music that I'm wed to in order to have that sort of dynamic or exchange. And so then the music is the third piece for me, which is not to say there aren't uh, artists, musicians, bands, etc., that I really love and just would like listen to forever. As you know, um, there is more than one. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to, to dancing, it's 
the movement before the music. Hmm. Speaking of Prince, um, did you, are you going to get the new book? You got it I'm, already. No, no, no. I don't have it already. But my birthday, oh. between my birthday and Christmas, I'm sure I'm going to end up with it. <laughs> I thought you were about to say, oh, I already read it. No, no, Because no. I was going to reach out to you when the article came out in the New Yorker a few, a few months ago. Oh, yeah. But then I, I was like, I'm already. sure she's already been there, done that. It's printed somewhere around yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. interesting. Yes. Very. Do you... Um, do you have a particular have you have you determined like when you go dancing do you have a are you are you picky yet about who with whom you're going to dance with what orchestra kind of feel um if you ish and no ish and no person and music okay <laughs> <laughs> all right that answers that um I say ish in terms of with whom, uh, because there's certainly people that I enjoy dancing with, but I also am keenly aware of and remember being new in the community and feeling invisible. Mm -hmm. And so like if someone I don't know asks me to dance, like unless I'm hurting, I'm probably going to say yes, um, because I have no idea who, where that person's coming from, what their experience for their previous part of the night has been. Um, and I don't want to add to a sense of, well, this night sucks. Right. Um, so that's what I mean by ish. Mm -hmm. um, and that means I end up sometimes dancing with folks that I was like, oh, okay, I could have skipped that. That would have been okay in terms of the dancing. But it's all fine. Um, and no with respect to music because I don't think I know it well enough. Mm. Um, that's another reason why I want to learn more about it so that when something comes on that I respond to it in the same way that I respond to most of the music that I grew up in really well, like in the first few notes, like I know exactly what's right. what the artist is, what that song is, like, do I, okay, yes or no. And how you want to, how you want to move to it or how you want to yeah. experience it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, once you develop that more then you'll develop with who you want to, cause other, some people might ruin that for <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Because sure. you mentioned before about how, for you, dancing is about a physical expression. Right. Um, and then you got into social dance. Mm. So I'm curious how the social dance, if you ever felt limited because you're no longer in charge of how you're interpreting it. But you're interpreting it still, but you have to do it in a different structure. I've always danced within structures because I've always danced on teams. Oh, okay. Um, so you're doing choreography and some of it's choreography that you put together but a lot of it's choreography that someone else has put together so there's always been that sort of a parameter um in some ways that made social dancing a lot scarier right uh precisely because i didn't know what was coming right and i'm not just responsible for myself in a group but not for somebody else mm -hmm. in the way that partner dancing like you're responsible for yourself, but you're, if you're, you can't just do you or the partner thing doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing I go back and forth. Cause my 20, I don't know, 15 years of my dancing was like me making sure that I knew where I was supposed to be and doing what I was supposed to be doing and not worrying about somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's still a balancing act that I have to think about sometimes. Um, dance only made sense to me when it involved a partner. Hmm. Like growing up, I never, th I, I didn't think I had I had nothing against dance, but I had loved art, I loved music, I loved the other mediums, 
dance. I had friends who was, I had a friend like who owns the Root Cafe. You know, she's a modern modern dancer, and I would see I would go to some of her recitals, and I would just okay. You know, I've had exes who danced okay, and until I'm granted that was all after I started dancing tango, but until I found a social dance because it. I guess, and I'm still not 100% sure why, but maybe it has to do with just communicating, mm. doing something with somebody. I don't know. It just felt to me like a dancing meant more to me when it was with somebody. I, I'm not the kind of person, I, will, I don't think I could ever just be in a room just like dancing on my own. All the time. Yeah, like <laughs> that's, that's not, you know. I do other things alone, but I don't know, dancing is... But the, yeah, like I'll do huh. other things alone that I wouldn't necessarily want to do in a group setting. <laughs> but hmm. I'll do things Interesting. in a group setting. That Is I, you that know, a thing you wanted to unpack? That's I'm being very innocent about that. Okay. I'm not going mm-hmm. where you're going. <laughs> he says with the chuckle. Okay. Yeah, it just means in terms of like art and creativity. Like I wouldn't mm. want to paint in a room full of people. Mm. That's something I do alone. But dancing is something I would I would do with people and around people music i could do either way hmm. yeah so that's all for me dancing didn't really have that kind of i didn't get inspired until then that's interesting because i feel like there are definitely people that i can i watch dance watch them dancing together and i can be like wow their their technique's great and i feel not much um and so that I mean, I'm sure they feel whatever they feel they're dancing together. But for me, I can watch certain things and be like, I, I'm getting nothing from it mm-hmm. outside of being like, oh, that's a really nice line. Um, great extension. Okay. Um, so the emotive part for me has always been the, the driver, which is, you know, the driver when you're dancing with someone else, too, I think. Um, mm. But I can see that and feel that when I'm watching someone else or when I'm doing that myself without other people. Hmm. Do you feel that you're seeing that? What do you, this is a a question for all of us because I I feel the same way. Like there's some people I watch and I feel it and some people I watch and I don't. And I'm curious if you have any inclination of like what you think is causing that reaction or because for me, I feel like when I, I watch some people and I think, I, I feel like I can see them thinking so much hmm. that I lose any kind of emotional way to I- interact with that. I still appreciate what they're doing from the fact that, A, they're, they're doing it. <laughs> uh, and I know that they care about it and that for them that gives them value. So it shouldn't matter the, how I feel about it. But at ish. the same time, that's... I mean, at the same time, like... Well, ish, because what... I, I do it for another reason, and that's why I do it. Yeah. I'm trying to say I don't want to diminish anybody's reason for why they got do what it, they do. Got it. Although um, I may not really appreciate it or get it. Right. Yeah. And, and for me, a lot of it has to do with just the way people look sometimes when I see their faces. They just look very concerned and, like, focused. And, 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 and like, too much. I don't know. I mean, we're all focused when we're dancing, but it seems almost like they're calculating, like, to, the, like, the... Yes. That, that certainly... That's part of it. I was going to say, for me, it's about, some of it's about the facial expressions, but a lot of it, too, is about kind of uh, how their bodies are responding to one another. Mm. Um, 
like I in general find modern or jazz or all the street styles to be far more expressive than mm. for me say ballet mm-hmm. right um in part because of the the posture and how one's body responds to even part of their right partnered and ensemble stuff for ballet um in general that just feels less expressive to me and more about making technique look effortless mm-hmm. which is freaking hard um and is a insane skill mm-hmm. but it doesn't mm, it doesn't always move me um and the way that i think most other styles have more capacity to do for me yeah, and then the more we learn, the more we can appreciate things that maybe in the past didn't move us so much. Sure. And then there's other things. Then there's those things like you begin to see nuance. Right. And then there's the things like tango, where the moment you see it, you're just like, oh, well, that, for whatever reason, already moves you. And then you go deeper with it, and you sure. sort of figure out why or how to go further with it. I'm the same way with ballet. But I think, for instance, like <laughs> like Sharon, obviously, like Sharon is a grew up doing it and and we'll go see stuff and she'll explain so i'm learning but i still find it hard to relate to i go see companies that do ballet but that do other stuff as well so like alvin ailey um american dance theater or the dance theater of harlem or be kind of the two at the top of my mind um so that there's a lot of it incorporates a lot of ballet and there's a lot of ballet technique Mm-hmm. involved and you can tell that those people have trained in that discipline as well as others um, but it's not always the foreground it's not usually the foreground usually modern is um, which I've learned to appreciate I didn't like it at first oh I was going to say something a minute ago though and now I don't remember well we were talking about expressive uh different ways that we appreciate the expression we're, we're seeing, I guess, and which ones strike us more than others. I saw an interview with a couple that we trained with several years ago, and Sergio trains with, Gabby and Nati, mm-hmm. right? And I wanted to work with them because, specifically because I wanted to clean up, like, my style. I was way too, like, hippy-dippy. I, 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 I wanted more salon kind of structure yeah but structure is not the right word because i had structure it was just a different structure okay but anyway you know we worked with them on and off for a year a couple of years and it was great very like strict you know this is the only way to do this this is the only way to do that this, this, so that's so that gave more structure in, in a way because you know we were all like we could do it however we want um and then i saw an interview with him and long story short what he said he really gets off on, I don't know a better way to put it, is the technical aspect, hmm. you know. And when he, I was happy to know he was so aware of exactly what he gets out of, the, what his joy is of dancing, and that he wasn't, because when you, I felt like when I watched some people that are super technical like that, they're so, they look almost too worried mm-hmm. to be that way, mm-hmm. but he actually got a joy from it. Yeah. And uh, it yeah. flipped my whole, like, Oh, so I was stressed out watching this guy because I thought he was so, like, concerned about being perfect. But he's actually, like, enjoying how perfect he is, in a, in, you know, yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> but I want to see that. <laughs> Do you well, know what I mean? Like, I, 
yes, I can totally fathom someone feeling that way um, about kind of how they're executing movement. Um, but if that's a thing that gives you joy, then I want to see it. Mm. I would like to see it. I mean, it doesn't mean one has to share, but if I'm if it's being done as a performance, then I want to be able to tell. That there's joy? Yes. I think if we understand, yeah. I feel like the more I watch them dance, the more I see the joy that I couldn't see hmm. before. But it also took getting to know them as people mm-hmm. a little bit, working with them one on one. Exactly what I was thinking. Seeing like their that, they have yes. like this most dry sense of humor. Yes, you <laughs> need. Yes, I think you just need more context. You can't really see if you just walk into the room, right? You know, it's and other like, couples project it right away, and other humans project it in other ways of life. You know, and and it's really just getting to know. Some people are just a lot harder to get to know. Or express in ways that aren't your defaults. Yeah, that's true. Right, and so that's just weird to decipher mm-hmm. up until a certain point. Um, but it did occur to me that, like, you know, context. If you know, like, if someone's general expressive range is a slice that's, you know, yay big, and they're expressing within that, but you don't know that their range is only yay big, then it might look like they're stressed out or worried mm-hmm. or hyper-focused when actually that's their relaxed face or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it's it's good to uh, just sort of observe and get to know before you rush to uh, try to help or sure. you know, ask, oh, are you okay? Yeah, and all that stuff and just sort of give people the time to be themselves and maybe they'll come to you if they need something, but you can just, yeah. I find that... Um, some the people that I think I know the best because they are more expressive are actually uh-uh. yeah right uh-huh yeah no um I feel like a way about myself sometimes yes <laughs> and, <laughs> yes I was just thinking about a, a guy I knew in college um who also danced with us back in back in the day us I was thinking about Rebecca and Daniel mm-hmm. um that's what I was gonna say remind me about the two of them later okay. um but he was so like in public incredibly charming witty funny like every, everybody loved him everybody loved him but you get this guy like one-on-one having a conversation and he was i don't want to say serious he's not uh there's a seriousness but there was also like a a depth but also like a, a darkness almost that I was just like holy crap this guy's like the idea of still waters run deep like yeah but th- he's not still on the surface either it's just hmm. ebullience but you would never know In that there settings. was so much um, so much self-reflection happening so much thoughtfulness so much like philosophical musings and meandering like a lot there was a lot going on there yeah and some people you can tell right away because that's kind of like their that's their what they lead with yeah and basically all the t- that's where they are sure and then yeah then it's hard to uh yeah it's just got to take time to get to know people um i usually just assume that most folks how most folks are in groups and how they are one-on-one are typically different mm-hmm. and just wait until i've seen both to get a better read on where someone is or what i make of them yeah it's it's you never know. 
that's why doing this project has always been still like freaks me out when I'm about to go sit down with somebody because most or all of the people that I've had on the mm. show I've only seen in social settings. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think of I mean I've hung out with Rebecca occasionally one on one, but we're dancing. And I'm thinking back, Jason. Yeah, right. We, uh, if you listen Mike. to that, you can hear the banter, Mike. But that was like the first time I really just sat down with him. Like we'll talk at the milonga for a little while but it's still hmm. like i don't allocate a lot of time for one-on-ones what bat johnson and i will go out to lunch occasionally but it's just interesting to think of now for me to think about that actually right now like literally at this moment that i don't set aside a lot of time so i never know what's going to come you know because it's usually <laughs> like i'm busy at some milonga i'm running around uh-huh. we say hi we chat and then we're off and to the next off. thing so it's, it's been interesting. So what about... Oh, mm. go ahead. I was going to ask you No, I was going to say that that's interesting because I enjoy a lot of group stuff. I think my preference is usually for one-on-one. That's how I typically spend time with my friends or like three of us. So like Mary and Tara, right? Um, us hanging out sort of thing. But definitely the smaller the group, the better for me or mm. more to my preference. Um, Speaking of, and I haven't forgotten the Rebecca Daniel thing, but speaking of, actually, never mind. We'll go to Daniel and Rebecca. Okay. <laughs> the, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just remembering that this is like not actually us sitting here talking. <laughs> well, we can always, if anything comes out, we can always cut it. But, Adam. Yeah. You say that to everyone and you never <laughs> cut it. You never know. I might. You might. You're not, but you know, being as I'm someone who likes to hedge my bets, what I've seen so far is, oh yeah, we'll cut this out later, and it's in the podcast. But not the part I actually cut, just the part of me saying that. I have no way of knowing that exactly. for sure, you don't and know. therefore, you know, better safe than sorry. Um, I think one of the things that for me, why, like, I know Nora Denzabaka was there at Stanford. I know Juan Carlos Copas was there at Stanford. Um, but the people I remember are Rebecca and Daniel is because there was so much joy and play in the interaction that they were having with one another. So it was, the movement itself was beautiful, but it was clear that they were having like a great time and it was clear that it was a a shared venture. Mm. Um, and that was hugely compelling to me, that particular thing. Um, and so I remember, I like, have clear memories of them dancing. I have no clear memories of any of it. And there were several other instructors. I couldn't even name all of them. Well, but I don't have clear memories of them moving either, including, you know, the, the celeb. Yeah. No, it's interesting because, well, just a couple things. Like, I remember even recently, yes, that. <laughs> I was I rem- pretty certain that we were going to get podcast with no siren in the back and i just heard no we've actually i've heard i've heard several but pretty low compared to the usual yeah i don't hear them very (laughs) often here um even to this day i i still see i don't get out often to rebecca's events but i was i'm always impressed that even after so many years she's still getting as much joy and and exert and exuding as much joy as i see her when she's out doing her thing and practica and, and teaching and and uh, all the stories, I've never worked with Daniel, I've met him several times, but all the stories I've heard from people who 
have been dancing when he was teaching a lot more. Mm-hmm. Always talk about how emphatic he was and how he he could give you joy in dance that you didn't yes. know you had before. Yes. And I'm I, I really want to like yeah talk to him about that soon because like Nick Jones when mm. uh, one night when Nick and I were we used to spend a little more time together he would come to New York more but he just said nobody ever gave him like working with Daniel like made him. He took his level of like wanting to be a dancer from like 50 to 100. He just said, when you work with Daniel, you leave the room and like you want to dance more. Yeah. And I think that's just an amazing yeah, quality to have. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah. And you could see that watching them dance. And I remember, I don't know if they did it as a tanda then. I have no memory of that. Um, but dancing with him for one set of whatever. And I most definitely floated off the floor. Like, mm. I was not on the floor at all with the end of that. And my friends were like, you're glowing. I'm like, yeah, damn right. <laughs> glowing, this is fucking amazing. Nice. Um, yeah, it was kind of remarkable. That's, that's one thing about tango that I think can keep you around. Is, it doesn't happen often, but when you, find the, when you get to those moments, those peaks again, mm. it's, like, you know, it's like a drug in that mm-hmm. sense. Like you, you'll... It's harder to get to those peaks sometimes, but when you get back to them, you realize, like, wow, that was... Yes. It was a long wait, that eight months, <laughs> or whatever it was. I actually but. enjoy the in-between as well. <laughs> yeah. I, like, again, well, you can't always have like those. Mo- right. Yeah. So. Um, but the movement in general. Like, I had... When was the last time I, like, had a blast? I didn't do a lot of dancing last time I was at wherever you were. Uh, Tango Cafe. But whenever Dante was here that night. Mm, yeah, like, just a few weeks ago. Whenever that was. Mm-hmm. Ton of fun, right? Um, and again, it's more, it's like all the stuff that I've learned or been focusing on in class is like not at all in my head right. in any sort of conscious way. I'm just like having a good time. And that for me is what dancing ultimately is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was also really nice dance. Yeah, no, uh, he's, he's, I hear a lot of really positive feedback about Dante dancing. Mm. Sharon really enjoyed. She danced with him that night. Chico, uh, yeah, yeah, it's great because he's uh, he gives a lot of good energy, you know. So I hope that you're enjoying him in LA. I know, but it makes it nice when I go back to California and visit Mm -hmm. because now I know. But what you say about the couples, I I feel the same way because uh, in the class setting specifically. Like when I train with certain, when I had in the past trained mm-hmm. with certain people more than others. And some people, I mean, in overall, I'm there for the material. Like if you're, if you're nice to me or if you're not, I, yeah, I, it might annoy me. But at the end of the day, I just right. want to steal whatever the fuck I can from you to take and use. But, but I do remember when I'm watching like Julio in Virginia mm. and I never worked with Julio when he was with Karina, but like I, the joy I watched them yeah. share. Yeah doing something they love together. Yeah. Uh, Brigitte, when she worked with Tomas, like watching those two, they were geniuses too and what they, how they taught material, at least to me at the time. Yeah. But I also just enjoyed their dynamic. They, mm-hmm. they really enjoyed being in that moment together. And then there's other couples, they're working and they're, and nothing against it, but I do feel like I get a lot, I feed off of that yeah, joy. And sure. I remember it more, you know. Of course. Yeah, because you're just, Ultimately, we're just sharing this experience of something with someone in this place, in this moment. And if we get too serious about it, it just kind of kills that joy, you know? Yeah. Um, 
or I guess I would, for me, there's, there's a time to be serious about it. And then there's a time to forget all of it. Yeah. Right. Like I am, well, depends on if it's a group class or a private, but I tend to be very different in like a private lesson than I am out set dancing socially. Like, cause I'm there to learn. And for me, learning is a very focused activity. Yeah. Um, unless I'm exhausted, but, and then dancing is about having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the learning funnels into that, but then it, the process, I guess, for me, the way it gets expressed is very different. Yeah, it's important to shut that off. Otherwise, I mean, I I have no fun watching other people have no fun because they're working so hard on having fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, first of all, I don't even know how to do that, what that means. You know what I mean? That. Like, you're at a longer, um, you're watching this guy, and all you see, and I'm not going to, you know, we already know who they are, but, like, there's some people, I, every time I see them out dancing, they're just working. I, I, I don't think, and maybe that's their joy, you know, fine. But I feel like, I, I agree with you. Like, there's a time to work, there's a time to train, there's a time to practice, and then there's time to take all that information and do, why, do with it what your ultimate goal is, which is to right. go out and have a good time. Right. And I feel like some people don't understand, at least to me, that doesn't look like they're having it any fun. It doesn't translate. You sure. know, it's like they're still working and... Uh, it's like, well, yeah, sometimes uh, yeah. you got to shut that off and just play, you know? Absolutely. I mean, Mary and I were in Montreal a few weeks back doing this workshop. And at a couple of points in the class on the first day, it was with Thomas Haulin. And he was like, this group is like really intense. I mean, we, do we need to take a break? Do we, what do we need? And everybody, I look around, I'm like, I'm fine. Like, I don't, this is normal. I'm fine. And fine we get through that day and there's a milonga that night and we go and he's at the milonga and at one point I was dancing with someone um, and he was also on the floor dancing with someone and the I was having a great time and that first song ended and he was standing over there and I looked at him I was like see he's like you can smile oh my god like you enjoy it I was like yes damn it (laughs) class is a different thing Mm -hmm. and then he says oh wait you're a teacher aren't you no, but I have been. And so, yes, like school is a school thing. And then mm-hmm. play is play. Yeah. It's good to have a balance. You're definitely a serious student. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you say that? <laughs> oh, just a couple of times, a couple of experiences. There's some people, like Sharon is too, like some people are in the class and some people are too relaxed. And that kind of annoys me as a teacher. And you've seen me annoyed as a teacher when I when I mm-hmm. talk about that. Um, I definitely prefer the more serious, but I think uh, just a general sense of joy is is, is good. Yes. Too serious, it gets to be a little, it's a little heavy. Because I feel like it's very quick to cross over to like frustration and anger with some hmm. people. You know. That's interesting. That may be. I don't know. It's not. I mean, I'm saying you specifically. Right. No, I'm just. Yes. But I wouldn't know other people's experience. So I can't speak. You would be able to speak to that as someone who teaches. Oh, in that dance. context. Yeah. Right. In that context. I wouldn't. Um, no. Like I, I see get, people that are relaxed and having fun and like they're never going to get angry. I mean, they might get a little frustrated, Ugh, you know, but then they'll laugh. But like I see people that are serious and then I see them more. They generally veer towards the direction of frustration more than they veer towards this direction of laughing <laughs> as the class moves along. Huh. Okay. <laughs> or they just stay serious and that's uh, that, yeah. you know? Yeah, or you figure out 
again, like what's gonna work for you? I guess I, I veer towards frustration and anger when I'm tired because mm. then I just don't have the energy to regulate um, or to redirect myself. Um, I get, I'm far less patient with whomever I'm dancing with or with the teachers or with, with everything. I walked out of a class with my favorite teacher, Horacio. I walked out of a class in Chicago a few years ago at a festival because I was tired. I was exhausted. It was really challenging. And I, and he was very, like, he's a great teacher. He's very relaxed. He's almost play, playful, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was so serious and so stressed that his joy, his playfulness, like, annoyed me. Because <laughs> he's like, hey, don't, don't worry. No pasa nada. And I'm like... I'm like, dude, I got to get out of here. And yeah. I just like left. And like yeah. later on I saw him and he was just like, hey, you know, but I, that was the one of the few times I've walked out just being like, I'm not, this is not helping me right now. Enjoy my life. <laughs> I've not walked out yet. Uh, there, there have been a couple of times. I can't even remember what triggered it, but there've been a couple of times in one of your classes, but it probably had more to do with another student. I honestly don't remember. I remember the feeling of being like, uh, I need to go mm. and then just being like suck it up like go five more minutes and see what happens right um and I haven't walked out but I've I've been I've been tempted I've walked out of a few just yeah. and it was better for me it's better for Chico it's better for the <laughs> future of tango <laughs> not like stormed out just kind of like yeah I'm, no I'm yeah good I've reached my limit mm-hmm. yeah well Walking away before you blow. Always mm-hmm. a good idea. Yeah. Always. It's been a long time since. But there was a few. I used to put a lot more pressure on myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What switched that? Um, just realizing that I have time to get there. I'm not in any rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was especially in my like 20s and mid 20s when I thought I had to like be the best at whatever that meant at the time and uh, and then you're just not having any fun because you're putting this pressure on yourself and then you look you know you just look back when not that I always lived in that reality but certain moments I just laugh at myself I would look back and be like what were you doing last weekend you were at a festival and all your friends are there and you're with the partner Chico and you're in this class and you're about to like murder somebody because you're not understanding what's happening and for what and what good did it do you know and it took like a lot of those experiences <laughs> to like eventually be like okay right. it's not like one time I'm like what a ridiculous you know but but no, you know just the lesson ex- until you learn it yeah yeah exactly so that was it though and I still I'm sure I could I'm not saying I'm perfect and that won't happen again but I've just feel like a little bit more calm about mm. the big picture of what actually matters in life mm-hmm. and like learning that one stupid thing doesn't really matter <laughs> and if it, you know right i don't have to learn every move and every permutation on both sides and close and open and to any music to you any know any like i don't have to do every thing. single yes. thing yes. in the world everything at once yeah. no. i mean you should but is there anything you're doing now? Like, do you have anything specifically that you're working on that you found that you've come to? Uh, like, oh, I really want to like, not something like a teacher recommended or anything like that, but something that Tiffany is like. Um, 
not right now because I feel like I spent a lot of time this summer and then in September and October uh, working with a, a range of people. Um, and I think the things that were sticking points were uh, pivots and consistency of connection. And I, Ariadna and Fernando are freaking amazing. Um, and I don't even know that I can explain like exactly what it is, but I remember working with Chico for, uh, for like an hour on something. And then the next night was the first night of Ariadna and Fernando's workshop. And in 10 minutes, they're like, oh, and you did, and I was like, seriously? You just in, you just in 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes of the damn workshop, <laughs> just like explained what I need to do that fixes what I was just trying to figure out for an hour last night. Mm. All right, great. <laughs> what else are we going to do? And they had us doing pivots. I mean, the first hour was pivots by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody was like ecstatic. It was it's the strangest thing I've ever been part of. Like, at the same time, you're like, who does pivots by themselves for an hour um, and slightly different permutations and like finishes that hour like, awesome, what's next? Nice. Um, so like doing that particular workshop with them and then seeing them again in Colorado the following weekend, mm -hmm. I think that shifted a lot. Like I, she just explains things in ways that make sense to me. Hmm. Um, and that are, but that are also different than how I've heard you explain something or Chico explain something or Horacio or Julio and Virginia, whatever, right? Uh, the various workshops. Um, and so I feel like there's kind of like a hurdle that got crossed. And so now it's like, okay, I need to figure out what I want to do next. Mm -hmm. Um, the first thing I was like, I'm doing next is pausing. <laughs> like I'm gonna step back for a minute. Oh, um, right, right. But I don't know what I want to pick up next is the next focus or emphasis. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like now you have something to play with while you're sure. You know, yeah. So in a way, you are focusing on it. But you're like right. So I'm like, oh, this is actually really easy now that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. Great. That's so much fun. Um, yeah, and it shifts the way the dance feels. I feel like I want to awesome. spend like the next year or two studying f with like the best women mm -hmm. again, but from a different angle so that I can help be a better teacher in that way. What would the different angle be? Uh, learning how to like, like my only, ex my main experience is with Chico, but when we sometimes teach privates together, the way, and, and I'm speaking more to a female student, the way I'll teach something, I try to teach, I tend to teach more by repetition and doing and feeling and experience. Mm. And like she, because she's spent a lot of time training her body to go from like a 30 something year old non-dancer to a dancer, which a little later in life than most people, she really understands like some people who start off young, they just, they don't even almost know how to break it down so much. Right. Anyway, when I hear her breaks things down sometimes, I learn so much about what would help me, obviously, mm. you know, break things down. Um, but I'm also not mm. an experienced follower for that matter. So I don't know, like I, I think I can relate to leaders more effic efficiently and effectively. 
in that way. And so the, my method for working with women is to do it, do things over and over again and give them, but my feedback from my perspective is different. So I would like to work with like Ariadna and different women that I know over the years have helped so many other women get better so that I can have more tricks and tools to pull out. Like I, you know, Brigitte was a huge influence in the earlier years. And to this day, there's no mm -hmm. reason why she's not anymore. I just work with other people right now, but you know, all my teachers have, I've collected all of their information to help me use, you know, basically. And I'm hearing more and more um, just from about different women. I, I, I have, I've just taken a long break from training with female teachers. Mm -hmm. I've been doing more musicality stuff and just my own growth with Chico and focusing on our, us and our, what we're doing. So it's just my, that's something I'm looking forward to getting into again. That's all. Yeah. That'll be fun. I think if there's anything I wanted to do more of is figure out more how to integrate what I'm doing with gyrotonics into dance. So like I loved when Ezra came, right? And he's one of my gyrotonics instructors and came and observed two lessons, right? And the way I put it, I was like, I would like you, to, Ezra, to translate into gyro speak, right? What you hear the mm -hmm. instructor telling me, right? Or what you see me doing or not doing. Um, which I found really helpful because he also has a very different way of thinking about and talking about body and movement and mechanics. Um, and he's also a dancer, so, so it comes from that perspective, and a martial artist, so has a lot of influences, mm -hmm. um, which I think help him articulate what he's seeing or what he's trying to get, well, what that was, sort of movement that he's trying to get. was just about like going back to what I just said, like having him there, you know, say what I was saying, but in better words and more clearly, <laughs> you know, Not, so he can be very esoteric sometimes, but <laughs> it was like, Oh, that's another way to put it. That, that hit, you know, hit home to you. Right. Or I heard it and I was like, Oh, uh, that's, that's another great way to, you know, I've never been one to like say something, 10 times the same exact way mm -hmm. and think it's eventually going to get through. I, 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 but I know that I could still develop more tools, you know? So having him there and when he was talking about the relationship to the floor, uh, which I, you know, we speak about as well, but just the way he worded it differently was like, Oh, that's very interesting. Right. Um, yeah. And some of it's just, you know, what sorts of metaphors and mm. imagery, imagery yeah. make the most sense. Right. You could talk about a relationship to the floor. And at one point he was like, your weight, your center of gravity is really high. And I'm like, okay, but that doesn't help me shift it. Like, um, you know, where Ariana said something, she's like, I would like you to place all of your weight in your hips. Like she's, I was like, I'm getting a lot of feedback. Like I tend to like drop my chest above the lower center. She's like, forget about it. <laughs> Don't even think about that. She's like, you're doing that because your hip is rising and you're counteracting or counterbalancing. So she's like, I, what I really want you to do is focus on your hips and put all your weight there and then put all your weight in your knees. And then put, and I was like, oh, <laughs> huh. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I can do that. I don't know that it, like I can drop my weight to the floor. That still is a, a bridge too far right mm -hmm. now. Um, but the idea made sense. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I could physically do. And so it's like, and then she's like, and now you're also doing the reverse in terms of pulling up with your upper body. Right, yeah. It's like, huh, okay. It's just a different way of explaining the yeah, exact yeah, totally. thing. Maria Elena said something recently that I loved where she was, till when she subbed for Chico one week, 
she, I think you might have been in mm-hmm. that class. She said, don't think about the pivot. Think about where you're going after the pivot. And I've every right. woman I work with now, every student, I like if it seems like the appropriate thing to say mm-hmm. to them, I'll use that. And it definitely has been effective for some of the women that I've been working with and myself. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. And I'm like, oh, we emphasize the pivot so much it ends up like blocking our, our movements after the fact. Right. Know? Because Yes. But, but because we needed to practice that first, obviously. But now it's time Ish, to... Ish, but the pivot is a means to, to something else, mm-hmm. right? Um, and when it's not in a context of a something else, then it becomes uh, yeah, harder yeah, yeah. to do. Yeah, sure. I mean, Ariana said the same thing. She's like... Don't worry about it. Pivot. You're walking along, and someone behind you, one of your friends, calls you, and you turn around. Like, and now you're going that direction toward that person. Like, there's a reason you turned, right? And there's an objective in it. Um, mm-hmm. And so focus on that. And again, makes. Hey, did you ever do any Carlos classes, Morano? No, I have not. Uh, wait, here, yes, a couple of times. Um, something she'd organized with Fee, but not outside of New York. I only did them here, and it was probably almost two years ago. She did the, these Monday night. I feel technique. like I went a couple of times, and Sharon was there. But I, that's what I remember being. In well, a these were stepping like out, third. but no. yeah, Sharon went to those. Yeah, I remember because she was going on Tuesday or Thursday. Something, yes. I don't but know. I was going. I think there were Mondays from like eight to nine thirty. It was one of. It was right when Carla first started coming. Okay. A couple of years back, but they were ass kicking. Like after an hour and a half to two hours, you know, we were all like ready to go home and crawl into bed and she's like vamos a let me longer like she's ready to go but her for me like her way of breaking just watching her actually more than anything but how she broke it down as well was mm-hmm. really useful uh just taking the effort out of it it was it, it was just about releasing like everything it seemed like wasn't about forcing a pivot it was about releasing a pivot and when you watch her legs move they look so flow mm-hmm. uh, very few women i've seen have this but I think it comes from her generation as well. Um, she mm. doesn't try to stab things. She doesn't try to project line so much. She likes to release more. I, um, I don't mean to say what she does. She'll probably tell me I'm totally wrong. But that's what I that's see. That's what you're seeing. That's what I'm seeing, and it's yeah. helping me. Using that visual helps me move that way, I guess. Yeah. And then being in that room with her for several weeks in a row for like two hours, <laughs> just going through all these drills is yeah. like really useful. Yeah. Yeah. She's back is she yeah back she's now? back and now she comes in and out i think she's back um, right now i think i saw something on facebook maybe mm-hmm. i made that up but i think she's back now yeah, i think so she's out she does a story now on wednesday i believe mm. and yeah the place that's hard to get to mm-hmm. yeah. i'm i don't typically sit in discussion and try to think about how to uh shape it or nav- help it move somewhere okay. um i do tend to though pay attention to or or listen more than i'm talking and i think that's also a habit from doing that in teaching where my job is not necessarily to be the one talking all the time i had a friend who was a reporter you know him but i won't say his name and um when i first met him i felt like every time i was talking to him all he was doing was either thinking about what to ask me or waiting for me to stop talking so he could ask me something. And I think I did mention to him at one point, I was like, dude, you got to stop with the questions because it was like his go-to. He it's was also, just always yeah. asking. So I was just curious because he worked, he was, that's where he, when he was in a, in a social 
context, it was his fallback. It was like, well, I'm just so used to asking questions. And I don't even know if he was that aware of it. It's just that that's what he would do. So uh, and I'm like, it was like five minutes in, there's like 100 questions. And I'm like, oh, it, no, I actually tend, I think I do the opposite. I think because I do it at work or have done it at work for so long that in social settings, I, I super dial it back. Um, not like intentionally, like now I'm going to pull back and not do something, but more of a like, great, I don't have to be the one running this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's great. I'm going to like chillax and I'll kind of listen. And if I feel like saying something, maybe I'll say something. But like I have no responsibility in this and like to make anything of it. And so it's just going to be. But was that if I am? <laughs> but d questions are my t default in general in terms of um, engaging in conversation so like navigating that particular podcast that unaired episode right like that was easy because i can ask questions um to keep that conversation moving mm -hmm. forward it's an easy thing to do it's just a thing that i think requires that you're much more involved and much more on top of what the conversation is and where it could be going so was this like a debate class you were running or what was no the... I, know, I taught history but like I mean, part of it's the way I was raised. And my dad was always very much like, uh, you find out for yourself, get the evidence, don't take anyone's word for it, look it up. Like, don't believe anything anybody tells you. Like, go look out for yourself. And so I looked at him with, you know, the smart aleck, like, eighth grade look that eighth graders have. And he says, yes, even anything I tell you. And I'm like, okay, just making sure we're, we're on the right page because now I don't have to believe anything you say. Um, I was... I habitually like ask questions hmm. um so it's not about debate but it's about two things one's about one understanding what someone is saying like really trying to understand um and two it's like to what degree is what you're saying based on actual information or based on how you're feeling right. both of which are valid but are totally different things mm -hmm. um and in a history class, I'm like, well, I feel like blah, blah, blah. That's great. What makes you feel that way? <laughs> like, can you give me something concrete? Because um, otherwise, you're just giving me your, really, you're just giving me your opinion. Right. Um, which in a history class is a Not starting point. Most... No, it's a starting point. <laughs> yeah. It's a starting point, but it can't be the end. Right. Well, because you have history to support those facts. You could feel some way about it, but what? You have history to support those facts? Facts to support this history? I don't know what you just meant. If if I feel a particular way about something that happened in the past, mm. that's one thing. But I can't make up what happened because I feel a certain way. Because history is already there. Those are the facts. <laughs> you just stepped into a huge debate. <laughs> uh, the facts are the things that get recorded. And we are all selective and record like no one is a, a machine well and the victor so, always writes the, the history books as they say which is true right um so the facts is not all facts and so you're still getting a perspective that's true yeah. right um and there was i just meant more in the context you're you're saying is like if if two people are debating something and one of them is trying to make a point because they feel a certain way if it doesn't necessarily line up with and that's the, and that's the point, right? When you know a kid could say, 
Who's easy? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking about something stupid. Like, like LeBron James is the best basketball player ever because he's scored the most points. And somebody would be like, well, I don't agree because, like, I love Michael Jordan. Right. And but then, then like, what well, do you love about Michael Jordan, right? Is it the points scored that is the thing that makes someone the best? Or is it their, their gameplay, the way that they support the other players on the team, right? Well, we have is a Michael the... Jordan fan here. Everybody. I'd actually, I know Jack just Diddley kidding, about basketball, kidding, right? But my point is, yeah. you've just given a set of facts, but it's not the only set of facts one could look at. There could be a very well a reason that someone likes Michael, uh, M- Michael LeBron Jordan. James didn't actually, I just want to make sure my viewers know I got my shit straight. <laughs> LeBron James does not, has not scored the most points. Okay, I I know nothing about any of that. Um, but the point scored is not the only factor yeah, yeah. or the only measure, right? Mm-hmm. You could talk about rebounds. I mean, I don't know. You could talk about a number of things. Um, and so this is why I'd say to him, like, I, okay, you like the – cool. Like, but what's the evidence that you're using to tell me hmm. that he's the best player as opposed to Michael Jordan or someone else? I don't know. Oh, I was about to name someone. I forgot his last name. Old school. Uh Kareem? No. Clippers? Clippers? Isaiah? Uh, no, no, no. Way no, that's, back. that's Pistons. Larry. Larry something? <laughs> I don't remember. Larry Bird? Yes! Him! He's <laughs> uh, like, the Celtics. Random. Okay. So there, there you know. Now you know how much basketball I know. All I have is I have a memory of when they wore short shorts that were like floppy. Um, yeah. Blonde, curly, mop. Whatever. Right? Like, I don't actually care who the player is. Like, just give me the data. Right? Um, it's the so same with I, history. No, that's cool. I don't know you're, that's true. Like, I mean, it makes sense. If true is the wrong word. That talking history could lead to debates. Well, there's things that are debatable. Like someone mm-hmm. could say, like, Andrew Jackson was, like, the best thing ever, right? Uh, because democracy spread under his presidency. Like, the commoners, like, got the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, to a much greater degree during his presidency. It can also be like, yeah, he also like authorized the Trail of Tears and right. kicked all the Native Americans out of their the Southwest or Southeast, excuse me, and shipped them off to Indian Territory. And you know, he um, and he was the first and only president to declare martial law in the in the United States. Yep, fun times. Yeah. And then someone else can be like, yeah, but he like had a Native American son. He like adopted, and you're like, yeah, he kidnapped that kid. But then he adopted him, right? <laughs> or like, he advocated slavery. But then he sla- he freed slaves in New Orleans when he was trying to fight a war down there and needed more people mm-hmm. and his troops. Like it was for a purpose, but right. he did it. So there's there's so many pieces of information you can use to argue either way, um, and they're all fact. So then it's like, which ones do you privilege in the narrative you want to put together? Mm. Interesting. I know I love history. Yeah, I hated it when I was a kid. Well, I'm a grown ass man, so I mean. <laughs> did you like it when you were a kid? I did. I liked my eighth grade history teacher, Mr. Walker, because I think he was a drunk. Now that I look back, and that's why you liked him. <laughs> no, because he was so. He was military history, mm. and it was hmm. eighth grade, or it was freshman year in high school. I forget. I think it was freshman year, and everything sucked in high school. I fucking hated high school, except for this one class. It's like fourth period, I think. And he would come in, and he always dressed kind of like a, like, he was older, but he, he looked, he dressed like a guy from Vermont who was, like, always hiking. He had, like, his, like, hiking boot kind of shoes and, like. Flannel. You know, not f- sort of like that, yeah. But he Cords. would spit when he talked. He was so enthusiastic, and he would talk about the different wars, and, yeah, and he was just, in, he was just a really intense guy. Hmm. Um, and he just made it like fun, you know. He just made it exciting. Like, can you believe like this so, happened? Right. And so then his passion 
Oh yeah, is yeah, what made yeah, it exactly. Yeah, compelling. And I was, it was the kind of guy, like, you were warned the year before, like, you got to sign up because his class is going to get full. And I didn't really care, but I was like, okay, you know, and then I was glad I did because he was, I don't really remember much about it except for the fact that he was a character and it was fun, but. Well, and you had an enjoyable experience. It was just great. I. Yeah. Yeah. That was the class I looked forward to going to, which was very rare. But, um. But yeah, so and then you know I didn't have a lot of time to think about history, and but it's one of those subjects when I'm like at the library or when I'm on the computer or watch, mm-hmm. looking up movies. It's like my first go-to is documentaries, historical documentaries. The first books I'd want to get out of the library are historical books. Um, what century? I'm very. I've always been into like U.S. politics. Mm-hmm. Um, from like you know 1787 1776 and onward but i've been trying to like open that scope a little bit uh scope you mean in terms of subfield or in time Uh, time period period in other culture in like getting out of the united states but i just keep finding myself like back in that like i just keep getting early national period really yeah fascinating that's not typical really i'm kind of most people default to the 20th century Hmm. like I'm watching history documentary or something on history. Like it's always, it's just one of the crazy. wars and like you know, I'm like, yeah, it's just kind of crazy that this country started <laughs> a <laughs> and became what it's become in 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 a very short amount of time when you look at the big picture um, and how it started and basically you know these were these people that wanted to create you know freedom and equality for everybody that looked like them. And, you know, when you sign the Declaration of Independence, you're basically, if we lose, you're dead, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that there are all these, like, honorable men or anything, but... And then another perspective I, I heard recently from Malcolm Gladwell on a podcast. Mm. He was like, these were the bottom dredges of society. <laughs> In a way, these were all people that were... They basically created a place where they were the power structure because they didn't like being at the lower end of the other people's power structure. And, right. you know, that's where... Right, so yes. I mean, it's one of the kind of a classic debate that you can pitch to students, right? Um, are these, like, heroes or are right. these, like, basically spoiled children? <laughs> like, I don't want you to be my boss. Right. You're not the boss of me. Or, I'm going to do this. Or, like lawless rebels who not all of them right. but some of them were you know anyway it did become and then the victors write the history books and now they're considered like you know the founding fathers and all this and that and, and in a way they are because they did but right but at the same time they weren't like the most honorable people some of them i think were extremely bright to create the document they mm-hmm. did and, and to have the vision that that they did but it was an interesting snowball of humans coming together at one particular moment Right. To create something as they did. I'm not going to discredit that, but they also fucked a lot of, you know, shit up. and. Sure. Um, and again, right, products of their time period, which you could argue to a degree, right? Um, because you have the, the question of slavery. Like, sure, Jefferson, like, writes the Declaration of Independence and then, like, owns only slaves, but then he wants to free some of them upon his death and blah, 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 right, back and forth. Um
I guess what I tend to say to folks is like you can have people who buck the trend of their kind of cultural milieu and right the norms of their society but I don't know that I expect that that is automatically going to be the case for most folks Mm -hmm. right so when they you know about those people when they do it because it's kind of a big deal to do that it's not you know like yeah whatever Mm -hmm. um and so you know you can find fault but also I'm like "Eh, most most of us would probably be in the same boat so yeah it's easy to judge and be and criticize people when you're not when you're 300 200 years later and you know things are in a very different, different yeah. yes social context. It is, i was i was happy and it's fascinating to learn how i feel like sometimes especially where we are now politically i'm waiting for and i've talked to people like they're waiting for like congress to just like start murdering each other or, or like the civil war to happen again and all this and that and when you look back at that period of time there literally were like congressmen beating the shit out of each other <laughs> like, things have actually used to be and that was the other thing. You were like, you know, if you sign this document, you lose your debt. I'm like, but like people dying violently was not as unusual, like <laughs> in daily life and most people's lived experience as it is now. Like we're, most people are removed mm-hmm. to a great degree totally. from I mean, that Western sort of, civilization, at least. Right. Um, yeah. I'm, you know, I say that and then I immediately think about like inner city areas in this country, but like. For most people, right, that possibility is not a thing that you're thinking about on a daily basis, mm-hmm. right? Um, it was a much more violent time. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, you could possibly die, but, like, you could possibly die in a duel, right? With yeah, or your horse could kick you in the, right. the head or something. Right. Yeah, or there's you, a lot of other you ways do die to die back duel, then. Right, so. <laughs> but that were common. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, there's other time period, uh, eras and time periods that I would like to... I, you know, to see how it all kind of came to that point from mm-hmm. other places. For me, like what I did, what I, I enjoyed studying in medieval and Renaissance time based on art. Because that was like yes. an amazing time in, yes. in the history of art. Yes. Um, but in terms of like politics and things like that, it was not a. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I don't want to read about that shit. But, um, oh, you get a certain point. You get Machiavelli. No, mm-hmm. still pertinent. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm. Medieval history is not really. What was your focus, history? Uh, race, mm, crystallization, I guess I would say, in the 19th, late 19th century. Um, by crystallization, I mean, right, the, the categories that we tend to use and talk about didn't, weren't always at play. So, like, there were certainly black and white, but white meant something very different in the 18th and 19th centuries, mm-hmm. mm, first half of the 19th centuries, hey, than it does today, right? Italians were not white mm. for most of the 19th century. Irish were not white for most of the 19th century. Um, and so when folks said white, they really were thinking Anglo, wasp, right. yeah, like Anglo descent. Yeah. Germans usually counted. Um, Northern Europe, basically, mm-hmm. but anything like Southern Europe is not. Um, Native Americans were in sort of a, f- the role they played in the country like changed pretty dramatically over the course of the 19th century, right? You have first the people 
who were in the way. And then you have this idea of the noble savage um, who becomes like an, is an emblem during the revolutionary time um, to being folks who are in the way of impeding progress, i.e. we want your land, so we need you to move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my hooker, my crook. This is still happening today. Um, yes. <laughs> what? Water? We don't, we don't, we want a pipeline. Or we want to, oh, we I don't want, mean just for the Native Americans. Land, this like, is happening at any... Yeah. We want your land, we want your neighborhood, we want your... Yeah. Yes. We need to build yes. some condos. In different ways. Yeah. But the populations, and this still happens too, like how the populations were viewed or conceived and talked about shifted based on the necessity and the reality of the moment. Hmm. So when we need their land, then all of a sudden, right, they're not uh, people. They're subpar. They're kind of animals. They need to be penned into themselves and put over here in these reservations. Um, they're not folks who can take care of themselves, et cetera. When we want more of their land, including land on the reservations, then they're like, there are people that should be under wardship by the government. The government should be taking care of them because they're not capable of taking care of themselves, right? Um, they also, their way of life is completely backwards. You can't hold land communally. The way to hold land is individual ownership, which conveniently when you do a census and of the land and the people, and then you allocate everybody that like 160 acres, there's a whole lot of land left over. Hmm, <laughs> guess what we get to have, right? Um, and then they get swindled out of a bunch of that too. It's just, at the end of the 19th century, right, the way night, their Native Americans were viewed had shifted into this sort of like people who are, are backwards and need a lot of help. Um, so things like boarding schools, like forced boarding schools emerge and mm. they go get, educated and their hair chopped off and right, their names right, right, and yeah. all that fun stuff. Um, likewise, the idea of, um, you see a lot more in Latin America, things like mulatto or octoroon or quadroon, and they're all like gradations of how much African blood you have versus how much white blood or anything else you have. Um, those terms existed in the U.S. as well and start phasing out of use in favor of the idea of this one drop rule. Right. Um, again, as a way to keep a particular, particular segment of the population separate from, not just physically separate, but then politically, economically, socially, and all sorts of ways separate from the majority. Um, and a lot of those things were coming together at the end of the 19th century, hmm. um, Civil War and thereafter. And I just, it's fascinating to me, like how all of that, all of a sudden, that kind of locks into place, and then you have these terms that we then use throughout the most of the twentieth century, and that shift to some degree, but not, not as much as they shifted in the nineteenth century. Yeah, those are like seismic shifts, at a very, within a very small amount of time. Right. That's why they were right big. Um, yeah. You know, and there's lots of reasons. Like, because a lot of things take more time to shift. Yeah. You know, like generations of... Right, but you get industrialization, you get a mass immigration, right? The famines in Ireland, you get all these folks coming over. Folks are still coming from Europe. Um, by the time you get into the early 20th century, right, there's all this... I mean, even in the late 19th century, all this alarm over immigration, and, you know, they're bringing diseases. And I mean, you name it, all the things that we here a lot now mm-hmm. right um was at play at the beginning of the night or the 20th century 
and in many ways I feel like this is just like a, a replication. A lot of the things that lower middle class and below white men were afraid of at the beginning of the 20th century are like reemerging as points to be afraid of. Like um, at that point it was the rise of department stores which meant that like mom and pop stores are getting put out of business. And now we have Amazon, which everybody mm -hmm. loves and hates mm -hmm. simultaneously. It was uh, African-Americans achieving some forms of economic stability, particularly once folks started moving to northern areas, um, fighting in the wars and coming back, like feeling like I fought for this country, mm -hmm. like you owe me some rights. Getting uppity, I think is how it was put. Um, women looking for the vote, cutting their hair short, right, uh, wearing short dresses. There was a law passed, I want to say it was in Alabama, but I can't remember, that a skirt can be no more than three inches from the floor, hmm. right, in order to try to Enforce police, yeah, yeah, yeah. police what they considered forms of propriety, right? Um, I read, I read uh, some kind of weird study. It's not a, it's not, it's, it's a theory that every 45 years there's like a huge cultural shift in this country and they and they contribute it to like generations passing it's and things like that but they were saying our last big one which we're a little out we're out overdue from it was like Vietnam in the 60s and the early 70s mm -hmm. before that it was reconstruction and oh, maybe before that it was the depression, things like that. Then okay. before that it was the civil war, reconstruction. Before that it was, um, maybe Trail of Tears, maybe Jackson. Jackson, mm -hmm. but then what? Jackson. That was the end of the Jeffersonian era, so that was a big shift. Anyway, there. You know, I've, I've read mm -hmm. this like when Trump got elected because they're like, we're, it's time for the next, you know, big fucking, you know, whatever. And I was like, all right, that's one way to look at it. I mean. There were so many weird theories coming out in 20, the end of 2016 about what all that stuff meant, uh, especially as a culture. But there's most things are very pragmatic, and then there's moments when it just some things just sort of like hit all at once. It's like we spent 40 years trying to make this change slowly, um, and you keep telling us to wait till the next, you know, like let's kick the can down the road. I mean that happened during the the foundation. Right. The slavery was like, well, we'll deal with this in 30 years from now. Right. Uh, and then eventually it just gets to that boiling point where the, I think, to me, a little bit of it has to do with, like, that the, I feel relieved that, the, to, generally speaking, the younger generations tend to always be a little bit more liberal and a little bit more social in consciousness. And after they have their kids and they have their kids, you know, great-grandpa, it's like fucking racist. All of a sudden, like what he was—he was a hippie in the '60s. Now he's a fucking racist in the 2000s. Like that's like Bill Burr has a really funny bit about this. It's like he's not racist. He just lived too long. Um, <laughs> he was a fucking hippie back in the '60s. It's not that he was a hippie and he changed. It was like what he stood for then that point in time was very liberal. And now right, we've moved time even changed. further. Yeah. Yes. So, um, and I think that's kind of when we reach a boiling point is when like there's just so many of a newer generation coming and coming and they're like, why is this still like, why is it still three inches off the ground, you know, for this law? But it took like, you know, 30 years for enough human beings to get to this point consciously where they're like, this is fucking ridiculous. Or with so many other things that. Yes. And yet I. I, I have to think about. Right. When I think about Charlottesville, like those were not 
60 and 70 year olds in the streets oh, there, yeah, yeah. right? So those were kids. Um, and they come from somewhere. Right? <laughs> and they didn't just, you know, spontaneously emerge. So I think there are plenty of places where, right, folks are still convinced that. If we had social media 75 years ago, that would have brought together a lot of disenfranchised people. Mm-hmm. And it would have been a much scarier thing, I think. Because when you're disenfranchised, you don't know that Part there's the other people. You don't have the connections, yeah. Right. So, like, when Alex Jones, you know, started InfoWars a bunch of years ago from his basement, I read an article. He was, like, just, like, this down-and-out guy living in his mom's basement or some shit. And then he realized, like, there's a bunch of other people out there like him because he started a website or some blog or some shit. And Sasha Barracona just made a speech about something kind of similar recently. It's like, I'm, I'm glad that there aren't as many anymore. <laughs> like, there was a, a rally. After Charlottesville, there was a rally in Portland several weeks later. Hmm. And I read that, like, five, I might be blowing this out of proportion, but it was like 10,000 people showed up to protest it. And 20 people showed up to support it. And they were, like, in a pavilion. Just like these 20 dudes, like, oh, Portland, fuck. Oregon? Yeah. Or Portland, Maine? No, Portland, Oregon, which historically okay. is, that state yeah. is historically not the most liberal. I know nowadays it's like, oh, yeah. it's Oregon. But, dude, they didn't, I mean, th- th- we, that was a fucked up state. They didn't allow black people in that state for until, like, the 70s or 60s or something crazy. So, yeah. anyway, I, w- I was like, okay, well, yeah, we have social media, which allows, you know, people, and for some situations, it's good that certain groups of disenfranchised people can sure. build a strength in numbers. But then it wakes up the uh, sleepers. Right. It's, well, you know. it, it's democratic in that sense, and that yeah. the other folks can use it too, yeah, right? Yeah, to that's true. make the connections to the folks who feel the same way they do, and right, want to organize in support of it. How it cuts both ways, and then it just becomes about. Well, you can take it two ways. It becomes about numbers and who has the greater numbers, or it can become about like how do we figure out where, if anywhere, we can find some common ground to start from. Right, and figure out what else we can build from there. And I think that's fundamentally what we don't see a lot of, um, which means we're just going to be very polarized. I, I, I'm always an optimist. Um, I'm optimistic about that. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, <laughs> I think that we, in, we inherit. No, we didn't inherit. We, we, we grew up before social media. And we are used to like the word of print having value because it needs to be substantiated. Mm. And we're used to that. Like, and we get social media dropped into our laps like 11, 12 years ago. And, and then it explodes in all sorts of Twitter and Instagram and da, da, da. And I think our generation and maybe those before us, we feel more polarized by it than the ones coming next because they're already going to know it's by it, by social media. By the effects it can have when somebody posts something that you know is false, and then they but they have like a hundred followers, and they're all like, "Yeah, Hillary, go to jail," you know, and then you're like, "All right," and then you know the Trump people and and whatever. But I feel like generations coming after us, hmm. they're already gonna know how fucking stupid and like. I think we take it a lot more seriously because of where we fall into the mm-hmm. the scheme. But that's my only obviously it's my personal outlook on that. Um, because I, I, I have, you know, friends with kids who uh-huh. are like 12, 13, 14, and they're just like, I don't even read Facebook. I don't even bother. It's all just fake. It's all bullshit. Like, 
And I'm like, no, man, this dude posted this thing. <laughs> okay, and fair enough. But then what, what is real to them? Uh, that, I don't know. I don't know. Right, yeah. Maybe they're going to go back to, like, the way we, you know, they see that this is not as serious as we think it is, and they're just like, no, nah, I'm going to go hang out with my friends and play video games and skateboard and, and do that kind of shit. Yeah, and I think that then puts us more like the 50s where like most people are just like yeah there's some drama out there but I'm just gonna hang out with my friends I'm not gonna like that's not here I'm not gonna worry about it so you mean that's a bad thing um I think not getting like caught up into a downward spiraling vortex is a good thing but um, ignoring it but I think ignoring it right doesn't fix it or doesn't help fix it. No. Right. And I will say I'm as guilty as, you know, any person I could be talking about. I find all of it intensely depressing. Like I can't stand to watch it. Um, but that also doesn't fix anything. So, you know, figuring out how, to, when do people get to the place and who are those people? Like when I think about, right, the late fifties and the early sixties and people starting to do sit-ins and protests and marching, like, a lot of it had to do with like direct impact on their lives, right? And wanting something specific in their lives to shift. And I don't know who those folks are now um, mm. who have skin in the game in that way, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to uh, folks who are involved because of a philosophical or an ethical or a moral, moral, which is, you know, a different thing. Like you could, you making a choice, you can do it, but like it may affect you, it may affect your kids down the line sometime, but it's not shaping what you can and can't do today or tomorrow, right? Um, and those folks are certainly involved in the civil rights movement as well, right? But again, it becomes then a, by a choice because you think something is right as opposed to a choice because there's something you need in your life. Mm -hmm. um, and I just don't know who that, that population is uh, of the something you need in your life right now. Maybe not in a similar way. Uh, I think climate change people and, and activists in, in those kind of things are, they have their skin in, in, in a game right now for in in a way not exactly the same but but in in a way they are fighting for social justice for the future right you know right right um but more for like everyone in a kind of right but, but i mean i, I, I say don't, that i would say a lot of the civil rights workers who are coming from northern universities and going down to the south or we're doing that sort of thing right yeah like yeah this yeah. Is for the greater good mm -hmm. as opposed to for me personally right right um yeah yeah i don't know if we have as much uh, for specific groups anymore but there's only I mean who's left to fuck over <laughs> the people we don't think about of course oh right? the, Trump, the Trump people <laughs> uh, that's not what I meant but no, yeah know, that I works know. too um, hmm yeah in any case it's it's interesting to think about. I think we're at a place where like you have to get involved because you care about the the broader good as opposed to like something you need to fix for yourself. Um, and that's a different it's a different ask. 
right? Um, and so then it motivates a different subset of the population. That's why I think that, uh, sort of a tangent, but not really, it's related. That's why I think sports have done so much. There's a lot of negativity put in sports, which I also agree with when it's validated. Uh, overpaid salaries, oh. athletes who are Jerks. pieces of shit. And however, what it's done socially, and it most most recently with like Kaepernick, and with the I can't breathe, like the Braun and all these guys wearing it. Like I I I'm I'm relieved that those people are still using their platform, even though like you know Kaepernick's basically just been boycotted. I mean, this right. is like the biggest bullshit. I, I yeah, that's know. it's terrible. It's just like oh, also because what he actually is standing up for or kneeling for is we could all agree on, but the NFL and the powers that be are like, oh well, we don't like how you did that. Once again, you know, getting permission to do, you know, right. So I I was just gonna say that. There's, again, it's slightly on a different subject, but I just like the fact there's, you mentioned about how we, we, we can still do more to bring this message forward into the future. Mm. And, there, and and I think people are in their way trying with what they have. They do care about themselves, obviously. You know, they have to, you have to put yourself first. Otherwise, you're going to burn yourself out and, and, you know, but, you know, keep a perspective on, like, the balance between, you know, me, 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 and we, we, we. Yeah, I guess that's not quite what I meant. Um, okay. I meant folks sitting in at a Woolsworth counter like are there because they want to be able to have lunch, like just a simple thing you want to do in your day, mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm fighting for a cause that will be good generally, but I need to make sure that I like have downtime this weekend to like decompress. Um, I meant that there's like something at stake in your, that the fight itself mean, is because there's something at stake in your life, like right now, that you need or that you are being prevented from doing or having. Um, and that's, I think, what's different. Like, so we can, like, if I think about your interview with, or your talk with Kim, um, who seems fascinating, would love to meet her. Um, Like, oil fracking, it's a thing, it's a practice. I know it's something that, like, we probably don't want people to doing. It's not, like, next door. I'm not seeing it. They're not preventing me from getting something. They're not giving me something. And so it takes thinking, like, well, down the line, this could be a problem. Or down the line, this means that my kids won't be able to do something, and so I should take action now. It's, like, delayed gratification in reverse. Like, you have to anticipate something at some point in the future that is undefined point mm. in the future and take action based on that as opposed to I can't go across the street and get something to eat right right um today right? it's just a different yeah urgency it's a different kind of urgency yeah yeah I mean there's there'll be a point in time absolutely hopefully not but right there might right, be a right. point but in time yes, when then that we is will all stand up one day and be like hey screwed. you gotta quit doing this but yeah. The, those things are like environmental, so there's no turning back. Right, right. No, That's why totally it's important to have totally people out Absolutely. there right now doing what they're doing. 
and we're not, which is not the best thing, but <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, that is exactly my point. Yeah, yeah no, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and it's you know, and there are certainly populations. I think it's why Native Americans are more involved in this sort of stuff because it's closer to home, like literally, mm-hmm. um, as well as. You know, philosophically and culturally forever, yeah. and historically <laughs> yeah. and everything else, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Hmm. It's, it's good to end on a positive note. <laughs> yeah, when I told my dad, my dad used to make me, he would um, cut out articles from the newspaper every day. Uh, and when I get home from school at dinner every night, and this was like, late elementary school, early middle school, I would have to like read articles during dinner, whatever he'd selected. Um, and then I get quizzed on them, right? About the quality of my reading and what I thought about this and what evidence and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and he was always going on and on about history and MLK, MLK is not blah, blah, blah. Malcolm X is the man, like this whole thing. So then I hated history because I felt like I got way too much of it. Uh, Went to college, ended up declaring history major, became a history major, um, mostly because once I got to college, they had some really cool classes. But I remember going, I'm like, oh, I'm going to tell my dad, like, I decided to major in history. He's finally going to he's going to love this. I was like, dad, dad, man, I majored in history. And I just declared major. He's like, why in the world would you do that? That's got to be the most miserable existence ever. History, great, thanks. Yeah, huh. drill it in, and then be like, "But don't do that." What are you gonna do with that degree? <laughs> history. Uh, yeah. Teacher, law school. That's usually what they say. Engineering, architecture. Mm-hmm. You can do those things too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doctor. <laughs> I opted out for uh, a career in Artiste. the field of. Getting by. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. No, luckily I, I didn't have any. I didn't have any of those phase. pressures. Yeah, I hope so. I didn't. Luckily, I didn't have any of those pressures. But I also sometimes wish I did. You never know. Cuts both ways. Mm-hmm. For sure. Anyway. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up here. Alrighty. Glad we got to talk about history for a little while. It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Tiffany. You're welcome. Thank you. So there we were. There we had it with Tiffany Trotter. Uh, it was a very interesting interview chat. Sit down. Um, I never know where these things are going to go. Sometimes they stay around Tango. Sometimes they branch off into other unknown galaxies. But I appreciate you sticking with us. I hope you enjoyed this on your drive or on your train ride or at the gym or wherever you indulge in your podcast listening. And until next time, enjoy the winter, enjoy the season, have a great holiday, and I hope to see you somewhere soon. Take care, everybody.